from the Carter Subaru Studios, this is the Jack and Spike Show. Welcome to the Jack and Spike Show. Jason Rance has a great piece about a school not reporting a student's kill list, which seems like it'd be the kind of thing that you would want to report to the police, but we'll find out why they decided to not do that. No more spring forward if the if a bill passes it in the Washington State Legislature. All I have to say about that, I'll say it in about 10 minutes. <laughs> Before we get to that, though, the... Kind of not, not an hour from now, you're gonna, <laughs> that comment's going to spring forward for an hour? It's gonna, yeah, it's going to be in a couple minutes here. Nice dad joke, by the way, Spike Thanks. A+. Plus. So asylum seekers in cold weather shelter hotels may not leave in protest. That's kind of an awkward headline from the Seattle Times. But to break it down, dozens of asylum seekers that were staying in tents outside of a Tukwila church were moved into hotels to get out of extreme weather. The church spent about $13,000 to move them over to a Holiday Inn so they could be warm when it was super cold. Now their time is up at the hotel, and they're welcome to go back to the church. But these immigrants, these asylum seekers, say no thank you, and they want to stay in the hotel out of protest. Now this could go one of two ways. They could, I suppose you could evict those people, and you could try to find them or whatever it is, or they could go back to basically living in the mud and in tents. In, in pretty much unsanitary conditions. Basically, from what the way it's written up is it looks kind of like a refugee camp, right? It looks right. like a, probably the worst conditions that we can keep human beings in. Well, they, from what I understand at this church in Tukwila, the, uh, is it the Riverside? It's a it's Riverton called? Park Riverton. Okay. United Methodist Church. They've got almost 500 asylum seekers taking refuge at this church. Many, most sleep inside in Correct. social halls or Correct. office spaces. Yeah. The facilities are literally um, max capacity, stuffed to the gills. Some are forced, uh, just out of necessity, to sleep outside in tents. About 50 of them. Yeah, and, they, and they've been there for months and months. And when the cold snap hit last week, and we the stories are everywhere, um, the church took it upon themselves out of their own pockets to put these guys in hotels. Mm-hmm. And now they're being asked to go back into the wet, cold tents they've been in for months. Right. And they say, no, thank you. And and they're waiting for work visa approval. Yes. Because they'd like to go out and get jobs and take care of themselves. They can't because of the bureaucracy of asylum seekers. Yeah. I mean, they're doing everything legally required of asylum seekers. They didn't cross the border through raising wire in Texas or anything like that. These are legitimate asylum seekers. But the way the system works... Is that? But the kindness of our hearts and churches and generosity, right, and charity is is why they've even got the conditions that now they don't want to return to. Well, I gotta I, I can't say, really blame them. it's kind of like I don't know. You remember the movie Trading Spaces with uh, Eddie Dan Murphy? A- and yeah, Eddie Murphy? Yeah. It's kind of like if at the 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 end of that movie they were like, okay, Eddie Murphy, you can go back to being a homeless person now. Do you know what I mean? Like it's really mm-hmm. when you when you show people. Basically, like the worst desolation possible, which is living in a tent in the mud when it's 18 degrees outside, which is World War One trench conditions, by the way. The way that it's written about in the Seattle Times is that these people are having to basically wade through the mud and it's miserable. There's not a lot of showers available to them. The bathrooms are right. Uh, right. Under facilities right. in every sense, even with uh, those of the folks living inside and these folks forced to live outside in tents. Right. And then the church is taking on this tremendous burden. The thing that often comes to my mind about this is why do we allow? And I know this sounds very hippy dippy. I know this sounds very, you know, uh, we are the world. We are the people. A <laughs> better place for you and me. How oh, does yeah. that song go? Uh, I think it's what's written on the tablet of the uh, of the Statue of Liberty. 
We are the ones who make a better day. So who let's wrote that start song? Getting... Is that Whitney Houston? It I doesn't think it's matter. Is that... I think it was Quincy <laughs> so, Jones, We Are the World. I think about I just think about the way that we treat human beings. Now, I happen to think that all human life is precious, mm-hmm. I, and even the worst of us, I happen to think that all human life is precious and deserves a certain amount of dignity. And what we have done as a society is foregone a lot of that mentality, and we have said, well... Uh, if you want to come to the United States, you shall live in basically abject poverty. Now, I, I looked up, you know, back in the 1920s, 1910s, 1920s, when a bunch of people were coming over from Eastern mm-hmm. Europe. Yeah. The conditions that those people were kept in basically looked like halfway houses. They were kept in much better conditions. So how is it that 110 years ago, migrants to the United States were treated better than what we do now. Again, I'm not going on some crazy socialist rant here. I'm not trying to say that what we need is Bernie Sanders to swoop in and rip off his buttoned-up shirt to get the Superman underneath with right. the big B. That stands for soup. Get soup for everyone. <laughs> soup and bagels. soup. For everyone. What yeah. I'm saying, though, is that the church is doing this wonderful work. They're doing God's work. Yeah. Jesus' work, some people might say. And yet they are still not able to provide these people with facilities that any other human being would would basically need right right and that is that's something that has to change again i'm not talking about necessarily government getting involved but people could donate people could say what can we do i often ask like is there anybody who has like a warehouse that they would be willing to rent or lease to the church so that they could construct some facilities for these people there are solutions but what i don't like is kind of the dismissive nature that we have towards other human beings I don't like people like Greg Abbott saying something like the only reason we don't shoot people coming across the border is because the Biden administration would prosecute us. us. They won't let us. They won't let us just shoot people coming across the river. You know, international crime only because Joe Biden won't let us like this is a weird mentality where we we stop viewing human beings as human beings and we view them as inconveniences, which is a really bizarre philosophic space to be in. And I understand people can call into question the immigration process, the the, the crisis yeah, 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 at, the, yeah. at the border. Yeah, it's worth That's, discussing. I'm all for it. Let's talk about it. Let's all make fun of Joe Biden making just a mess of the border. How are we going to help these people? How are we going to help human beings? Because I think we forget that, right? They're not they're not Hispanics. They are human beings. Right. And they did everything required to seek asylum in this country. Most of these folks are from the Congo. Okay. Right, and and and, a, and another African nation, and I apologize that I don't have it top of my head. It's, I don't want to misquote Angola, I believe. Angola and Congo is where these folks, these particular group in Tequila, are from. Okay. So, what do we owe asylum seekers in this country? What do, what do we owe someone seeking well, a better life in America? We've given them the process. We've they've got court dates, right. to seek asylum. They're in the process of seeking work permits so they can be self sufficient. So what they're seeking is to be self sufficiency. I think if the government can step in anywhere, it's to process more quickly, to process whether work uh, work visas or asylum. Sure. And in, and I hate to keep going back here, but the Biden administration has proposed a $14 billion package to hire more asylum judges. Yes. To hire more border agents. Yep. And it's been voted against on party lines because the issue is inflammatory. The issue is a threat to America. The reason that we, we treat those uh, different from us, lesser than us, mm-hmm. is because this, this the issue has been weaponized. So we're talking about this church in Tukwila that is dealing with a series of immigrants that they basically they're housed, they're housed outside a certain percentage of them. And so when it got really, really cold, they 
bust them all over to a Holiday Inn. Because humanity prevailed. humanity prevailed. They paid about $13,000 for it. And then now these people don't want to go back because they're living in inhumane conditions. And I understand why they wouldn't want to go back because I certainly want to, wouldn't want to go well, back. I like your take that let's have the community step up and, and take the bill, whatever it needs to be, to keep them safe and warm. Sure. until sure, sure, sure. At least until the weather breaks in, what is it, February, March, whatever it is. Whenever it is. And, and maybe invest in some... I, some improved facilities for those who can't be inside this particular church? Yeah, I don't... Maybe the hotel can can write, donate the rooms and write off as a tax deduction. I mean, it's a Holiday Inn. You think they're really going to do that? That's a big corporation <laughs> that could use some good PR. Uh, oh, and the there government's, you go. the government's happy to slap out tax breaks to every big corporation in America. That's an excellent idea. Well, we'll keep everybody updated on how this unfolds over the next couple of few. Jason Rantz wrote a piece over at uh, 770KTTH. Talking about how there's this local school that didn't report a student kill list to police. It's a fourth grader. It's at North Thurston School District. And one of the dads called on the condition of anonymity because he was worried about the blowback that he might get for talking about this. But basically, this kill list was discovered in this fourth grader's uh, possession at Horizons Elementary in Lacey. Created a list with a series of names of students that he wanted to target. Now, fourth grade is what, nine? Ten? Yeah, I think it's about right. So you're talking about a child who's probably being bullied, who's probably severely damaged, who probably has bad mom or bad dad, who is probably being ignored. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes into this. Sure. I'm going to say something that is very spicy here, and a lot of people are not going to like it. And I'm okay with that because this is just the way that I feel about the development of children. We're talking about a nine or a ten-year-old with Mm -hmm. a kill list. That's not police getting involved. That's mental health care facilities. That's counselors, right? That's not five. Because what's 5-0 going to do? Great. Okay, so now we're going to put him up on charges, and then he's going to go to juvie, and he's going to do what as a 9- or 10-year-old? Be further traumatized? Yeah, like, what completely. is this? What learn, is learn the wrong way to do things. Learn, right. learn crime. Goes on to say that uh, three names are on the list, according to a source. The district did not disclose the nature of the threats. Uh, they didn't contact the police. They actually contacted the parents of the students on the list to explain the district was conducting an internal threat assessment. Great. Wow. What a great job they did. That's And I'm not even being facetious. That is a fantastic job because I don't necessarily... We, we have this weird thing with the police, and I'm about as pro-police as a person can get. Mm-hmm. Police are not a fix-all. They can't fix this. There is no fixing that goes on with the police in a 9- or a 10-year-old's life, right? Right. So I don't understand like what... What do you want if you're a parent there other than to be notified? That's the only the the only thing about this that I think the school did wrong is they didn't notify all the parents, which they most certainly should have done. They, they notified the three children that were on the list, the families of the three, three children on the list. Have I understood that correctly? Yep. Yeah, right. correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think you're you're spot on about mental health care coming in, counseling coming in between the parents and the students. Right, have a school counselor or or a district counselor yeah, come well, in. What is it about these kids? What's got you feeling this way? I mean, did you when you were a kid in school, you doodle? Did you doodle like you know? Planes of violent mon- images, yeah, constantly, yeah, right? Crazy. Didn't we all? Uh, yeah, I basically like my notebooks. Basically, looked like um, the notebooks from Kevin Spacey in the movie Seven, which were just like Bible verses and people getting <laughs> eviscerated. Yeah. And for some reason, they kept me away from the other kids. I'm not sure why. Because <laughs> out of precaution. Um, no, I, th- I think you're perfectly. That's a sound judgment. That it's, this isn't a police issue. In any way, shape, or form. No. What's a, what are the police supposed to do here? Well, I'll Interrogate give you, I'll, the kid I'll and give you an traumatize example. the kid further? I'll give you an example. Did I ever tell you that I was almost involved in a school shooting? Not, not, I didn't do it. No, 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 no. I hear you. Did no, I ever no. tell you? Okay. So it was my sophomore year of high school. 
and I was in Mr. C's uh, computer class. We were learning how to make websites, how to use Java, uh, how to, you know. What grade was this? Yeah, I, I was a sophomore in, in high school. I got this in college. Right. Go ahead. So, <laughs> they learned. School, school progressed. Go ahead. So, so there was this kid who sat directly behind me. This kid's name was Alex, and he was uh, he came from a broken home, and he lived with his grandparents, and he was also uh, one of a very few minority kids. Not that it matters, but at the school, which was like 99% white kids, he was one of the very few minority kids okay. at the school. So, uh, and he sat directly behind me. This is a small class. Maybe 10 people are in this class. And it's a Thursday, and all of a sudden, I, I remember seeing Alex earlier that day, and all of a sudden, he's not behind me. And I'm thinking, my, this is weird. And then uh, our our principal at the time, Mr. Palestrini, comes around, and he's letting all the teachers know that no students are to leave class, period, full stop. Shuts the door, locks the door, and I'm thinking, uh, What? And yeah. so we later find out that Alex brought a gun to school. He brought a nine milli to school that he stole from his grandfather. And he had a list of everybody that he was going to kill because he wanted to go to heaven with his friends. Now, the police came. They arrested him. They did the whole nine. Right. Alex was not a this is going to sound really rough for people was not a dangerous person in the sense that he was a very broken person. And what ended up happening to him is he ended up going to juvie for two years. He came back senior year, a completely different human being. All that softness, all that kindness, completely devoid of it, was very into kind of criminal culture. Was His, his MySpace profile pic was his uh, mug his mugshot mug oh. from juvie. And he loved to talk about, it. and I'm just uh, to well, this day I wonder a community somewhere finally. To this you day know? I wonder had he gone to a mental health care facility. Laura, you're making a face at me that's just like the worst face I've ever seen in my life. It's just a really heartbreaking story. It is right. Yeah. So, but my the point that I'm trying to make here though is that like with these circumstances, like this fourth grader, you can either involve the police and ruin that child's life. And I'm not saying that the police themselves would do so. I'm saying it's the the the, the prison pipeline that we've developed around children or we could do some kind of you know inpatient care that's designed around children and children's needs which are not the same as adult needs everybody understands this but for some reason whenever you talk about eliminating juvenile halls people are like and then it completely just falls apart right yeah i think the school did exactly the right thing here as you said they 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 assess the situation they deemed the threat not serious right they didn't ignore the threat. They didn't hide the threat. They notified all the parents involved. Maybe they could have notified the whole school and not singling out individual students by name to further ostracize this poor kid who's already going through a terrible time. But a parent said they were troubled by the school's response, as per Jason's story on KTTH and MyNorthwest.com. Yeah, the parent I mean, was troubled by because parents want... They, they want to be informed. They have a right to be informed. They, no, yeah, they want to be informed. I, I get that, but I think if the parent takes a look at what the school did, how they acted, what they did, they assessed the kid... In an individual basis, it didn't go by protocol. Say paperwork here says I got to do this, this, this. Call the cops. Right, blah, 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 blah. right. They used humanity and common sense to assess this kid's threat level. Deemed it wasn't serious, and it ended at that. Right. Well, right. and you tell every every parent there's no way that the kids, all the kids, don't find out, which I'm sure they, they yeah. probably. Knew. And then yeah, that kid is ostracized. Yeah. yeah. I think it was handled appropriately to just tell the parents of the kids who were on that list. So that's that, a good point. They could be maybe a little bit more cautious. So 
we have a fairly draconian set of laws in the United States mm-hmm. that we often cling to. But I think that, like, for instance, if people would read, there's a really great book out there. It's called Discipline and Punishment. It was written by Michelle Foucault. Okay. We then understand. Never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> we would then understand. She was the uh, communications director on the original Star Trek. <laughs> we Sorry. Would, you, you then get an insight into how the vestiges of penance meaning like I'm serving my penance to God has rolled over into our modern age and how it just doesn't really work anymore. Everybody kind of intrinsically knows this, but for some reason we cling to it because we believe that it is in a sense justice, but in actuality is, is just another continuation of torture and trauma. Right. All right. On that happy note, (laughs) what's the book called again? Discipline and Punish by Michelle Foucault. I highly recommend it. So, uh, by the way, no more spring forward if a new bill passes in Washington State. Senate Bill 5795. I'm crossing both my fingers. Please. Yes. No more of this nonsense. All right. We'll take a really quick break when we get back. Speaking of draconian, by the way, Mr. Sunshine's going to be dropping in because we are going to be talking about how the Babylon Bee is a kind of a satire newspaper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, they might have maybe kind of possibly have crossed a line, but I think we should explore it to the fullest extent. Okay. Because racial comedy is really tricky place to be when and, we're trying to crack jokes. And it's evolving, I hope. Maybe. Not so much at the Babylon Bee. Not, not to be. But we'll talk <laughs> okay. about it when we get back right after this. Racial humor is always a difficult topic to navigate because there are lots of people out there who say that any kind of joke around ethnicity or race is inappropriate. And then other people say, well, if it's funny, then in the, in the if pain is not intended, then it's a perfectly acceptable joke to make. Hmm. Now, because I'm so divided on this, I decided, well, then who better to ask but my boomer friend, Mr. Sunshine. So we're going to wake him up now. Good morning, Mr. Sunshine. How are you doing today, sir? Yes, hello, comrade. Very good. <laughs> Billy, I'm curious. You know, you're, you tend to be a fairly um, progressive guy. You're a champagne socialist. You're you're basically just left of, of Che Guevara and Trotsky. So I got to ask you this question. When you see this article from the Babylon Bee talking about, basically, it looks like this. It says Trump promises Vivek an administration position while running the White House 7-Eleven. And then they have photoshopped Vivek Ramaswamy's face. I already know how Billy feels about this. Uh, right next to a 7-Eleven, which is positioned in the opening foyer in the White House. Is this funny? I mean, Vivek thought it was funny, but do you find this to be funny, tasteless? I'm curious what your reception of this is, Billy. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's all those things. It's funny, tasteless. And, you know, probably they do need a 7-Eleven at the White House. So it makes sense. Okay. That's uh, the, not really the, the direction the, I wanted to go says, in there, Billy. The story the B wrote was, <laughs> the story the Babylon B wrote was, under Biden, the White House doesn't even have 7-Eleven. Not right. good. We're bringing convenience back to the West Wing. Now, Ramaswamy wants to stay in good favor of the conservative voting bloc. Yes, he does. Right? So, of course, he's going to say it's funny. Right. You know, he's he's more worried about undercutting his his place in the conservative you know sphere 
than he is standing up for decency and his own the stereotyping of his own nationality. Well, I mean, I'm, his ethnicity. I'm of the mind that of Patrice O'Neill, who I still think was one of the greatest stand-up comedians of all time, and he, he and he said he that as long as it's funny, if it works, then it's fine. That comedians and writers should be able to do whatever they want to do as long as it's funny, and if it's not funny, the audience will let them know. But what's what I find to be weird about this bit is even I was like, because it just seems a little pointed being that the stereotype against uh, Indian men is that they come to the United States and they open 7-Elevens. Now, if you actually look into the socioeconomic process of this, more often than not, what these guys do is they come and they get a 7-Eleven franchise and then they open up four or five other ones and they're making a million plus a year. As being the owner operator of a series of Seven Elevens, is that really such an or awful? Tech executives. Yeah, or their tech executives. Is that really such an awful stereotype to have? Being that if you come to America, the American dream is to open up your own business, and open, it... work hard, twenty hours There's a day sometimes. Wrong. Right, right. There's nothing wrong with Apu on Simpsons. He was a fine, fine fellow. Well, if you think actually think about Apu as a character on The Simpsons, he was a dedicated husband and father who was raising eight children, right. a business owner, a martial artist who also protected his community to the point where he took a bullet for one of his customers. This is like the definition of of a great character, right? But they made him out to yeah, be an awful yeah. stereotype which I think is fairly unfair. Well, right? the, the Simpsons, by the way, pulled that character because of backlash. So, right. I mean, I, I, you're right about the, the hardworking immigrant who you know works nonstop, expands, fulfills the American dream. But people don't look at the guy behind the counter at the 7-Eleven as the epitome of the American dream. They look at him as less than I am because he's the one behind the counter waiting on sure, me. So, sure. I mean, it pl- plays into the stereotype of a lesser being. Right. And what are we talking about? Are we talking about the fact that Oh, there goes Billy. Has done it horribly, has picked on an immigrant. Uh, this is not news to us. This is what you're going to get <laughs> with JT, you know, tr- yeah. Oh, so, so, Billy, you saw uh, that, you watched the Iowa caucuses. Are you surprised by any of this? Are you, do you find it to be in any way, shape, well, or form engaging, or are you too uh, blown from yeah, your, from your night last engaging. night? We learned so much. We learned so much. I mean, first of all, it really matters whether you vote or not. Yes. Because Trump would have won every county in Iowa were it not for one voter. One voter, one vote. Yes. Haley won one county in. Otherwise, Donald would have swept every county. And by the way, he didn't visit every county. He did business differently. What do you mean by that, Billy? The VEC went to 300, uh, did 300 uh, uh, visits. Yeah. 300 different uh, campaign stops. Uh, Trump hardly showed up at all. He he won. He won bigger than anyone has ever won. Well, I mean, but the man was the presumed incumbent. And quite frankly, everybody else who's running knew that Trump was going to be basically the incumbent in this. He was going to basically be the presumptive front runner. Right. So when I say incumbent, that's basically what he is. Right. Yeah. But look, he didn't. It's amazing that an ex-president who just ran couldn't get. Uh, you know, fifty uh, percent of the vote. Uh, we, you know, we were talking about that, Billy. We were talking about that on the day of the caucuses because I would have thought he would have been up in the sixty to seventy percent range when it came to caucus votes. But at fifty, that he's claiming that that's a victory. I'm thinking anything less than sixty-five is kind of a 
not the best indicator for former President Donald Trump, being that so many people are split right. on the man. Half, half the most Republican Republicans in the country, Iowa caucus goers, voted for somebody else. He got 13% of registered Republicans in Iowa to come out and cast a ballot for him. 13%. Right. I mean, a lot of people are saying, on my side of the aisle, it was a weak showing. He's He's got vulnerability. Mm. What do you say to that, Mr. Sunshine? What I say to that is uh, how extremely solid the evangelical community is for such a bad man. Mm. They're really showing themselves to be credible hypocrites. Yeah, well, I think the evangelical, if I can speak for those fine people, I think what they see, I think what they see in Trump is a is a way to get their political agenda across. I But at the same time, I think that most people in that community know that Donald Trump is by definition, like not exactly following Christian doctrine. It's they're basically using oh, each oh, other. He's, if that he's makes a man sense. of God. He's a man of God. No, but that's the game that they play with him so that he looks at them favorably. I think they, it's kind of a, a relationship of convenience for the both of them. But I think secretly they both despise each other. There is nothing about Donald Trump that speaks of evangelicalism. The man held the Bible backwards and upside down while talking about how much he loved it. Gassing I mean, the uh, protesters on the way to the, to the right, church he stood exactly. in front of, too. Yeah. I mean, this is all, if you look at Trump, it, quote-unquote, following Christian doctrine, he has done none of that whatsoever. It's not as if the man worships. It's not as if the man prays. It's not as if the man belongs to any church or any denomination in particular. I mean, he can't quote scripture to you. I think that he finds it to be very awkward. The other chief. Well, I think that he finds it to be very awkward and very cumbersome. And so I think that there's a lot of evangelicals out there who are willing to say like, oh, yeah, that's a godly man. He's a, he's like a King David. He went back and he he re- redid his whole life and, and decided to clean up and live right with God, even though there's no evidence of what of that whatsoever. Well, well, like Billy said, though, each and, side, and in fact, go ahead. Go ahead, Spike. Uh, each side is using the other. That's what I'm saying. Well, who's more, like Billy said, who's more hypocritical? The guy we know who he is. We know who Trump is. Always been this guy. Never hit it. Or, or the evangelical well, voter. Right. So he's happy to, to look so, the other sure. way. Evangelicals believe that when the end times come, they need to be in control of, uh, of Jerusalem. Israel. Of Israel. And Trump is the vehicle for that death cult. No offense to those fine people. You're right. But if you believe that when revelation happens, that you need to be in possession of the Holy Land, and Trump is the guy who's promising that to you, you'll bend a lot of rules to get right with Jesus. That's what I'm saying, right? And and, and by the way, by the way, over, I think, 61% said, oh, yeah, even if he's convicted of crimes, we vote for him. Yeah, that's too bad, really. 91 felonies. It's got to be some kind of record, right, Billy? I don't even think you have 91. <laughs> yeah, but I take heart in the third we that say discuss, what's this ball fun. We've agreed to that. We've not discussing to that. yet. That's to that. All right, so uh, we'll take a really quick break. Thank you so much, Mr. Sunshine. We appreciate it. Somebody decided to pay tribute to Pete Carroll with gum, and I don't like it. And we're going to talk about Aww. it when we get back right after this. decided to pay tribute to Pete Carroll by using his mouth to masticate <laughs> 200 pieces of gum. Why are you laughing, Spike? That's the technical term. I, I know it is. Mastication. Because you always just raise the level of conversation. Thank you so much. So this artist masticated 200 pieces of gum to create an image of Pete Carroll on the gum wall. 
neighboring Pike Place Market over the weekend. Now, Rudy Willingham, I am sure, I'm positive that he's probably a phenomenal artist. He okay? is. He's great. This is disgusting. It is. This is gross. <laughs> it is, man. I do not support this kind of public mastication. I think that it's I think that it is something that there should be a law against, quite frankly. Because this Come on, Olympia. Right. This kind of okay, public displays of mastication in this way, we just cannot have it, right? As a society. This is two hundred pieces that t- came out of his mouth and then he stuck it to the wall so it looks like Pete Carroll, but it doesn't really look like oh, Pete come on, Carroll. It looks, it's a great no, it looks just like Coach. Okay, it looks like do you remember It's like somebody chewed Pete Carroll up okay, and stuck him to the wall? <laughs> do you do you remember on Nickelodeon how they used to slime people? Yes, yes. This looks it. this looks like they took the dad from Boy Me. Meets world, and they were giving him the the Nickelodeon award, and yeah. then they slimed him. Okay. And this is a shot that's, mid that's, mid slime, right? Yeah, this doesn't exactly fair. look like. I mean, it's a pretty rough. It's almost like it, I suppose in a, in like a weird way, it kind of reminds me of that scene from Who Framed Roger Rabbit when Christopher Lloyd gets run over and he's all flat. Oh yeah, yeah and then yeah, he yeah, comes yeah. back up, yeah. and that's kind of what this reminds me of here. It's also just gross. Thing, you're taking it. The, the idea of the gum wall is gross. I understand that it's a local icon, but there's better things to have, like the the Hendrix statue. That's yeah, a nice, Hill. yeah, it's beautiful, nice little yeah. you know public thing that everybody. Hell, the troll under the bridge is better than the gum wall. Yeah, I thought you were gonna say the Lenin statue. The Lenin statue. They, even sure. that's better than the gum wall. <laughs> I'm just saying the gum wall is is disgusting. And if I had my druthers, we would get rid of it. We would burn it, and we would never speak of it again. It's gross, Laura. It's gross, right? It's fun. It's colorful, and it will never go away because it was power washed into yeah. oblivion, and it, it immediately off. reappeared. So, it's a tradition we can't get rid it, of. Human beings are disgusting. Clearly, you, you got to accept it. You I, breathe through the things that you don't like, the so things you, that you can't change. The wisdom to accept know the, the wisdom to know the difference. Right, yeah, right. So <laughs> whatever. This is yeah. how bad. This is how bad this is. I can't even look at it because I want to gag when I look at the the thing of Pete Carroll. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. So, but my thought was, is it for Rudy Willingham, is that because he has this skill and this talent, why not apply it to something else and have something that can be a little bit more permanent or in a little bit less gross and, <laughs> and pay tribute? And okay. so I was trying to think of a way that the people of Seattle could show how much they appreciate mm. Pete Carroll. And so it, in my mind, I think the best way to do that is we get a massive thank you card that's the size. It's 100 yards by 100 yards. Oh, okay. okay. And it, we open it up, and everybody signs it with a nice little note, and then oh. we present it to him. By helicopter. At, by he- we got to <laughs> drop it off. So it's going to take a 1,000 trees to make this thing. <laughs> and on the front, it's a picture of Pete Carroll yeah. you know, winning the Super Bowl, and then he opens it up. We get big type letter text that says thank you that's like the size of Shaquille O'Neal. Okay. And then we all sign a little, little note thanking Pete for all of his hard work and then we fold it up and we get the world's biggest envelope and then we mail it to Pete Carroll. It's hilarious. It'll last forever. We'll get a Guinness Book of World Records in there and it's it's good for the children because they learn how to read and write. Read and write. Can I tell you some radio that's great radio stunt by the way. When wh- over the course of my career here in Seattle we've had a couple of moments coming in the when Dave Niehaus the announcer for the CEO, for the Mariners, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Was uh, was I was, was fighting cancer, I believe. If I, if I might be mistaken, we had people sign baseballs, get well baseballs, like thousands oh, of so them sweet. for every game that he had called for the Mariners. Yeah, a good well baseball message 
to Dave Niehaus. When Don James retired from the University of Washington, he had, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of wins. We delivered hundreds, the exact number of yellow roses to his house. That's so you know, sweet. That, that's the kind of radio stuff. This this big card is a great radio bit. That's that's what Pete deserves. You know, I don't know if it's statue worthy because there's. I think the more statues you put up, the you diminish the what the meaning of statues. Giant thank you card. Giant thank you, you card. Spot forever. on. Keep it but forever. It's, it's hundred by what forty of sixty whatever the, yeah, the yeah, width yeah, is. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. It's amazing. I like that. Coming up next, many debates are now being canceled after the Iowa caucus. The Biden administration is proposing a new limit on overdraft fees, and I could not agree more with this proposal. And the spin room returns because I didn't want to sit through an hour of a Trump speech. When we get back right after this.